Today on The Open Word with Pastor David Landry. Give us ears to hear your truth, and eyes to see the needs around us as we draw close to you. May we thirst for the water that your love brings us. Open our hearts, change us from within by the open word. They did not understand what was going on in their son's life. And there was this continual pushback, this continual uh, division and conflict within the home. He was a good kid. He desired to honor his parents and serve the Lord. But you know what? It was a constant battle in his home because of that. Christ does bring division. You commit your life to live for the Savior, to be a witness of his grace and of his mercy and of his love. And sometimes the balance of your family feels that you've gone over the edge. Man, you become one of those religious fanatics. All you ever want to do is go to church. All you ever want to do is read your Bible. All you ever want to do is serve the Lord. When we come to Christ, we can't expect to avoid division. Jesus knew and warned that the message of the kingdom would separate people from one another. In our time with Pastor David, we'll hear about the inevitable pushback that comes from people who are resistant to entering the kingdom. If we choose to follow Christ, we need to be prepared for a battle over the genuineness of our faith. Even well-meaning friends and loved ones should be expected to challenge God's Lordship in our lives. Now here's Pastor David with part two of today's message entitled, Discerning the Time. says, man, I, I got to go through this, and I am so distressed right now until that's all accomplished. It's the same baptism that Jesus spoke about to the two brothers. You remember James and John, the sons of Zebedee. They also had another name, didn't they, church? What else were they called? The sons of thunder. Why? Because I think that's just the way they came about. That's the way they entered the room. Oh, there's James and John, and they're just who they were. Remember, we, we saw earlier in Luke, as we've looked through this gospel record, that point in time in the ministry of Jesus, they were walking down the road, and John and James come running up to the side of Jesus. Hey, Jesus, we've got this great plan. How about me and John being on your right and left when you go into your kingdom? Doesn't that sound like a great plan? One of the other gospel records says, no, it's their mom that came up and said, as a good Jewish mom, you know, want to make a good place for her boys, and says, hey, how about putting my sons to sit on your right and on your left of your throne? We understand all that. Well, Jesus wanted them to understand, man, you have no clue really what you're asking. Now, he, he told him, he said, if you want that position, are you willing and able to drink from the cup I have to drink? And to be baptized with the baptism I must be baptized with. Now, up until that point, the only baptism they knew was John's baptism. Well, sure, we can get in the water. They had no idea what was really going on. And they ignorantly responded to the Lord. Oh, yeah, yeah, we can do that. Not a problem. And although James and John suffered again in their death, they didn't go through the fullness of the suffering that Jesus went through. 
James was beheaded by Herod in the early stages of the church. Just at the very beginning of the birth of the church, James was beheaded. His brother John, though, he lived to be an old man. He was exiled on, on the Isle of Patmos, but uh, he lived to be an old man. He wrote the, the gospel according to John. He wrote the three letters, 1 John, 2 John, 3 John. He wrote the book of Revelation. He suffered, though, greatly for the Lord. Tertullian, a Christian writer of the year around 150 A.D., he wrote that John was banished to Patmos after being plunged into boiling oil in Rome and suffering nothing from it. Tertullian writes that it said that all in the audience of the Colosseum were converted to Christianity upon witnessing that miracle. Now, I don't know, but man, that's a powerful thing. If you even consider that, okay, maybe that's a little bit of evangelistic exaggeration. Okay, pastors do that quite often. We had multitudes that day. Multitudes. How many did you really have? 50. Uh, <laughs> but in some way, God moved and worked in John's life. These two brothers didn't drink the same cup. They didn't have the same baptism of Jesus. If they had drank the same cup, if they had had the same baptism of Jesus, the crosses on either side of our Lord Jesus would not have been occupied by two thieves. It would have been occupied by two brothers. And they would have secured, I believe, there that great position that they were after. I want to sit at your right and on your left hand, not understanding that, no, they would be hanging on the cross on his right and his left. That baptism of suffering that the Savior has to be baptized, he says, man, I am so distressed till this is accomplished. Jesus continued on here in, in Luke 12. He continued on with another difficult saying, beginning in verse 51. He says, do you suppose that I came to give peace on the earth? I tell you, not at all, but rather division, for from now on, five and one house are going to be divided, three against two, two against three. Father is going to be divided against son. Son is going to be divided against father. Mother against daughter and daughter against mother. Mother-in-law against daughter-in-law. Daughter-in-law against mother-in-law. Now, that's just not a personality issue. This is a spiritual issue we're dealing with here. You remember the angelic chorus on, on the night of, of Jesus' birth there on the hillsides outside of Bethlehem. The angels came and they sang to the shepherd, glory to God on the highest and on earth, what? Peace, goodwill toward men. Now the New English translation and a couple of other modern translations put it actually with a more clear understanding. They said glory to God in the highest and on earth, peace among people with whom he is pleased. So peace is coming. So in one sense, Messiah did come into the world to bring peace. But that particular type of peace is that inward peace that comes to an individual when they come and make peace with God through faith in Jesus Christ as Redeemer, Savior, and Friend. But for the rest of the world who continually turn away from that message of hope, there is no peace, but only division. Only division. Even within a house, you're going to have a three against one, two against the other, or, or three against two, two against three, uh, father against son, son against father, and on and on it goes. Now, that's a tough saying, but I believe that even sitting here this morning, there's probably many of you, you you're living that very truth in your life today. 
because you came to Christ, because you committed your life to Christ. It's actually brought division within your life, perhaps against uh, with, with family, within your own home, definitely within friends and some of the other acquaintances. Households are divided as, as one or two decide to follow Jesus, and the rest of them mock them and give all kinds of grief to them because of their faith. You see, division has entered into that house because Christ has come in. A teenager determines he's going to surrender his life to Christ, and he receives this major pushback from his parents or from his siblings or from his friends. They're now divided. I remember years ago, many years ago, I was a a youth pastor at a church up in Phoenix. Young high school student, man, got on fire for Jesus, received Christ into his life, committed his life to the Lord, and we had no end of the grief from his parents because this young man wanted to serve and follow Jesus rather than be just who he was before. I thought to myself, so you would rather have your son either very mediocre in his commitment to Christ or with no commitment to Christ than to be on fire for Christ and his life actually to mean something within the kingdom of God. You see, they weren't Christians. They did not understand what was going on in their son's life. And there was this continual pushback, this continual uh, division and conflict within the home. He was a good kid. He desired to honor his parents and serve the Lord. But you know what? It was a constant battle in his home because of that. Christ does bring division. You commit your life to live for the Savior, to be a witness of his grace and of his mercy and of his love. And sometimes the balance of your family feels that you've gone over the edge. Man, you become one of those religious fanatics. All you ever want to do is go to church. All you ever want to do is read your Bible. All you ever want to do is serve the Lord. Oh, that the household of faith was continually that way if all of us were continually that way. But I guarantee you, it brings division. For the committed believer in Christ, we realize we're we're no longer a part of this world, and it will bring division. Jesus knew that the kingdom and the message of the kingdom and, again, the consequences of what the kingdom does within an individual's life would bring division. But he also knew that unless those who desired to be his disciples made those hard decisions, were willing to be rejected, continually dying to the things of the world, he knew that unless they were willing to do that, unless they were fully committed to following the master, then they'd be nothing but fair-weather followers. They'd be short-time disciples, no true commitment, no real true surrender of their lives to Christ. And as soon as difficult times would come in their faith, when the push came against them because they stood for Christ, these fair-weather followers, these part-time disciples, fall away. We read about that within the Word, that in the last days there will come a great falling away. Jesus, throughout his ministry, was continually clear about counting the cost. You've got to count the cost. Don't believe that, hey, I'm I'm just going to go follow Jesus for the day. He was very clear that you look and see and you understand what it's going to cost you to follow Christ. He tells the multitudes here in Luke 12 and verse 54, He says, whenever you see a cloud rising out of the west, immediately you say, a shower is coming, and so it is. And when you see the south wind blow, you say, there will be hot weather, and there is. Hypocrites, you can discern the face of the sky and of the earth, 
But how is it that you did not discern the time? Here in Arizona, we understand that, and when there's great big old clouds coming in, it's probably not going to rain. <laughs> we understand that, okay, maybe if it's coming from the southeast, we'll probably get a dust storm. <laughs> we can have those great big beautiful thunderheads over there and we're hoping, we're praying it's going to rain, and what happens? Those things fall apart, and we get the haboob coming in with just rolls and rolls of dust. If you've never experienced that in the summer here in Arizona, we invite you to hang out for the summer. <laughs> Experience that with us. Jesus is asking them. He, he's, he wanted to know, do you see things just in the physical sense? Why don't we see things in the spiritual sense? And we spoke about being ready for the master's return, that you need to look and understand the signs of the time. You need to be discerners of the time. Uh, again, as I said earlier, having our waist girded about, ready for action, our lamps burning. I shared with you also words of the Apostle Paul as he writes to Timothy about those last days, those last times. Paul told Timothy, but know this, that in the last days, perilous times are going to come. Men are going to be lovers of themselves, lovers of money, uh, boasters, proud, blasphemers, disobedient to parents, unthankful, unholy, unloving, unforgiving, slanderers, without self-control, brutal, despisers of good, traitors, headstrong, haughty, lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God, having a form of godliness but denying its power. And he says, from such people, turn away. And I shared with you last week that I believe he's speaking about the church. That in those last days, that's what you're going to see in what is called the visible church. Not the true church, not the true followers, but these are those fair weather followers. These are those temporary disciples. Peter, again, speaking of the last days. He says, scoffers are going to come in the last days, walking according to their own lusts and saying, where is the promise of his coming? And again, I believe that Peter is speaking of the changes that are going on in the last days within the visible church, this great falling away that we speak of. Beloved, that's part of the signs of the times, and it's sad today that man in general, we're increasing in knowledge at, at just this absolutely amazing rate, the knowledge that's coming to us today. But the gap in our overall spiritual wisdom grows at an even greater rate. As we increase in understanding and knowledge in the earthly and the physical things, our understanding and knowledge in spiritual things is declining, and that gap is getting wider and wider and wider. The Jews had all of the prophets of the Old Testament times. They declared, they prophesied about the coming of Messiah, and yet, most of them missed that first advent of the Messiah, even though he was prophesied over and over about it. Today, we have the fulfillment of so many of those prophetic announcements about the Lord, not only in his coming, but also his ministry as well as his death. We see what the word of God declares. We understand, we should understand all that that means in reference to it. All of these announcements, and yet man continues to mock God and his word through their action, attitudes, and words. One writer declared, how tragic that men today, we can predict the movements of the heavenly bodies, we can split atoms, we can even put men on the moon, but they're blind to what God is doing in the world. 
We know how to get to the stars, but we don't know how to get to heaven. Our educated world possesses a great deal of scientific knowledge, but not much spiritual wisdom. Jesus shared with his disciples, there's going there's to be signs of his coming. His, his warning for all of us is to stay alert, to be prepared, know that the Lord, our master, is coming. And Luke ends this portion of the Lord's teaching with this added warning down in verse 57. He says, yes, and why even of yourselves do you not judge what's right? When you go with your adversary to the magistrate, make every effort along the way to settle with him, lest he drag you to the judge, and the judge deliver you to the officer, and the officer throw you into prison. I tell you, you shall not depart from there till you have paid the very last might. Beloved, our world is marching at this ever-increasing rate toward the courtroom of God's justice. Our adversary, the devil, is bringing charge after charge against us. And you know what? There's absolutely nothing that we can do to dispute his claims. We're guilty. We're guilty. There's no way that I could ever say that I was not guilty as he brings those charges against us. We're truly guilty. And if we met the judge of all nations in that position, in that kind of a condition, we'd be declared guilty and would face that full condemnation of our sin. In the midst of our guilt, beloved, there is no plea deal that's going to get us off. There's only one hope. Our only one hope is to settle with our adversary, the devil, before we stand before the judge. The problem is we don't have anything to bargain with. Our only hope is for the mercy of the judge. But we need to have that mercy long before we stand before him in judgment. And that's why the judge himself sent his representative ahead of that final judgment. His representative then paid the fullness of the debt that we owed, making complete payment and restitution possible. Now, before we come to that point of standing before the righteous judge, we can receive that fullness of redemption by receiving the sacrifice of his representative, the Lord Jesus Christ. John tells us in his little letter to the church in 1 John chapter 4, he says, In this, the love of God was manifested toward us, that God has sent his representative, his son, his only begotten son, into the world that we might live through him. In this is love, not that we loved God, but that he loved us, and he sent his son to be the propitiation. That's, that's the more than abundant exchange, the propitiation for our sins. The multitudes of the prophets, the words found throughout our Bible, they declare the truth of why Christ came and that he's coming again. But a few years ago, a southern gospel hymn writer by the name of Gordon Jensen wrote these words. Perhaps they're familiar to some of you. Years of time have come and gone since I first heard it told, how Jesus would come again someday. If back then it seemed so real, I just can't help but feel how much closer his coming is today. There's wars and strife on every hand, and violence fills the land. Still some people doubt he'll come again. But the word of God is true. He'll redeem his chosen few. Don't lose hope. Soon, Christ Jesus will descend. Signs of the time are everywhere. 
There's a brand new feeling in the air. Keep your eyes upon the eastern sky. Lift up your head. Redemption draweth nigh. Are you a discerner of the times? Are you able to look at the world that's around you and see the events that are going on? We look at the world, and again, the, the collapse of, of Christianity in so many places. We see nation after nation who at one point in time were a stronghold for the Christian faith, and man, they're becoming overwhelmed. Germany, believe it or not, in the early years, Germany was one of the most powerful theological centers of our world. Theologian after theologian came out of Germany, great theologians. We know what happened to Germany. They relaxed in their Christianity, and a man like Adolf Hitler came, and uh, Nazis came and literally destroyed that country at that point in time. As Germany rebuilt, they rebuilt as a totally secular society. Christ isn't honored there in the way that he should be. The power of the gospel isn't there the way that it should be. You look at Great Britain, for years and years, Great Britain sent missionary after missionary after missionary all around the world proclaiming the gospel of Christ. Seeing men and women, villages, and literally nations coming to Christ, to a, to a new birth in Christ. And yet their faith cooled off, and now there's more churches closing and more mosques opening in that country than ever before. As a matter of fact, there's so many churches that are closing, Muslims are purchasing these old churches and turning them into mosques. That's what's going on in Great Britain right now. Are you looking around the world? Do you see the signs of the times? What about in our own nation? We see our nation. We see the moral standards of our nation. I mean, absolutely being obliterated. Seems like year after year after year, our nation sinks deeper and deeper and deeper in immorality. What used to be right is now wrong. You can get arrested for some of the things that we used to be able to stand strong for. The things that we knew, man, there's no way that we would ever be that way. There's no way that our country could ever sink that low. Well, now that becomes the very thing that we parade around the world of who we are as a nation. Do you see the signs of the times? What about in the church today? How many churches truly preach the reality of sin, the need for repentance, and the hope that the Lord Jesus is coming soon, and we need to be ready for it? Fewer and fewer and fewer. Why? Because sin isn't a comfortable subject. I want to feel good when I go. I just want to enjoy the time and go away with a big smile on my face rather than having the Holy Spirit penetrate into the very core of my being. Even the church is being watered down and Christians are becoming weaker and weaker. Do you see the signs of the times? If we see these things, the last question is this. Are you ready for the master's soon return? I believe in the rapture of the church. I believe that there's absolutely nothing keeping the Lord from taking us out of here. My wife has said multiple times, the next move I want to make is straight up. Straight up. We're looking forward to that day. Whether it be the rapture of the church or the Lord's second coming, are you ready for the master's return? My hope, my prayer is that you're discerning the signs of the time and you know that the hour is getting late, and that you want your life to count for the kingdom above all things.
Learning more about Jesus is the single most important thing we can do as Christians. As we carefully consider how Jesus lived, we see beautiful examples that can apply to our lives. Though the entire Bible is rich with symbols and images that point to Jesus, the Gospels are grand central station for who Jesus is. Join us each day as Pastor David teaches through the Gospel of Luke. You can get a free copy of today's teaching at our website. Simply log on to theopenword.com. That's theopenword.com. Although the open word is a huge blessing, we pray that it's not your only source for the teaching of the Word of God. It's our hope that you're attending a church that teaches God's Word from beginning to end. Here's Tracy with more information about our service times here at Calvary Chapel Casa Grande. Maybe you're listening right now in Casa Grande and you don't have a home church. We want to take this time to invite you to join us for worship. We meet Sunday mornings at 9 and 11 a.m. at 6.30 p.m. every Wednesday and Saturday. For more information, call us at 520-836-9676. That's 520-836-9676. Or log on to theopenword.com and follow the link to the church website. Thanks, Tracy. Well, that's all the time we have for today. You've been listening to The Open Word with Pastor David Landry. Please join us next time for the next edition of The Open Word.